What's going on, Vinyl Community? You are listening to The Record Spinner here on Vinyl Community Podcasts, and welcome to another installment of a series that I am hosting exclusively here on the podcast called Current Rotations. If you have been following me and my whereabouts for the past month, you guys know that I have been coming and going, it seems like, by the day. And uh, most notably, roughly about a month ago, I was on vacation with my good buddies over at the youngest members of the VC. You may have seen or heard us announce our big trip uh, on an episode on the podcast. And um, I did a whole documentary on our travels to New Orleans. And that also involved a quick pit stop in Nashville. And I even did a video on my uh, extended travels to Chicago. So if you want to go back on my channel and check those videos out, please go ahead and do so. Um, Basically bought a bunch of cool records. But this episode is going to focus on what were my favorite pieces uh, that I bought while I was on vacation. And we have a little bit of ground to cover. We have some Bowie, we have some soundtracks, we have some local uh, music, as well as records that I never saw myself buying both in my time as a music lover as well as a vinyl collector. So we have a good bit of ground to cover. So enough of the chit chat. Let's jump into what this episode is all about. First up, I'm going to be talking about a record that I picked up at Euclid Records, uh, of course, the New Orleans location. And if you saw our travels to St. Louis, we went to the St. Louis location. And we kind of figured since because we went to the previous one last year, we would kind of repeat and re uh, revisit some ground by going to the New Orleans location, which apparently is the original location before they kind of branched out. And this particular record, I think I mentioned it in the documentary, but this was up on the wall with like the holy moly type stuff. And I knew that when I saw it, I knew exactly what entailed with it. And I think when I asked um, one of the workers at the shop to bring it down, like he knew that I knew what entailed with it. And that is a David Bowie live release. And this is called uh, BBC Radio Theater, London, June 27th, 2000. And it is very simply a live performance that David Bowie and his band did at the BBC Radio Theater in London on June 27th, 2000. Now, this particular recording uh, was released on CD as far back as 2000, 2001, as part of the limited deluxe version of Bowie at the Beeb. Uh, but what I have here is a three LP set that was only made available in the Brilliant Adventure box set. So... For those that aren't, aren't really in the loop, the Bowie Estate and Parlophone have been putting out uh, these kind of era box sets that focus on certain periods of uh, David Bowie's career. And they bring together everything in terms of uh, studio albums, live material that has been officially released so far. It's not like there's you know a treasure trove of archival material in these sets, but it kind of just brings everything together like in, like uh, in an anthology. But sometimes they will pull some things that are perhaps exclusive to these sets, meaning that they will not release them individually or by themselves like they do with his core studio catalog. So this is uh, one of the exclusive pieces that is not destined to be uh, made for sale outside of the box set. You can only get it in the set. And in most cases, you know, with a box set like that, you can easily break it up, sell it piece by piece, meaning the commons that will be released um, on their on their own own 
as well as the exclusives. So obviously this was one of the exclusives and I've always kind of been on a manhunt to get those exclusive pricings. And one may ask, Dylan, why didn't you just buy the box sets? Well, because I missed out on the five years box set, which was the first one that came out back in 2015. And now that is approaching like several grand, which is insane. Uh, so, but I always buy them on CD though, because I need to upgrade my Bowie CD collection. Uh, but any, anyways, I, um, I usually just get the standalone uh, reissues when they come out, and then I try to just hunt down the um, the, sta- the exclusives if they're ever made for sale outside of the box set. And sure enough, I was very happy to get my hands on this exclusive piece. And um, I mean, I gotta say, it seems like on average lately, I have been listening to live albums that are three LPs. So this is a hefty meal to take in. But regardless, Bowie is one of the few artists that I collect on impulse on vinyl because the man was a true artist in every sense of the word and also with how the Bowie estate kind of represents his work on vinyl there is a lot to sift through and it just makes it fun to collect so I was very happy to uh, leave Euclid uh, Nola with this cool exclusive Bowie piece now one of my missions when I went to New Orleans with my buddies was that I wanted to leave with something New Orleans based now granted you could easily get anything in the Cajun realm or jazz, which I did leave with a jazz title, but we're not talking about that in this episode. Um, I wanted to leave with something notable. So while we were visiting um, a store uh, called the White Roach, which was kind of located in this cool kind of artsy part of New Orleans, um, I stumbled across this record, um, and it is the self-titled debut release of Kid Charleroi, uh, which is basically the project of Amanda Sfar. And I kind of just saw the cover and I was immediately intrigued and then I just went on Apple Music briefly just to listen to some samples and I was very pleased with what I heard and basically if you are a fan of like 70s soft rock uh, whether it's in the vein of let's say like Carol King, um, Carly Simon and James Taylor you will definitely enjoy this record. It's just a feel-good record, you know, that you just play on a nice sort of autumn-type day, um, even though there is a song on here called Christmas Time. Uh, but still, it's such an enjoyable listen. It comes with a nice insert, and the pressing that I picked up uh, comes pressed on kind of cool sort of marbled gold vinyl. Um, and I was just very happy to pick up something that is, you know, relative to the area that we visited, and basically something that you probably will not come across in a record store that is outside of the New Orleans area. So if you happen to find yourself, if there's any listeners out there that are uh, natives to the area, if you like 70s soft rock and you want to hear a cool little twist on it, check out Kid Charleroi. You won't be disappointed. So this next record I'm going to talk about is probably my favorite find from New Orleans. So after we went to the White Roach, we also went to this store just up the road called Sisters of Christ, which if you watch the documentary, we pronounced it as Sisters of Christ. And it was kind of angled to be like a sort of punk rock centered kind of store, which was really cool. They had an amazing selection. It was, you know, organized very beautifully. And basically like all the sections that they had to offer were rather in depth along with their soundtrack section. Now, soundtracks are something that I do collect, but I don't go out of my way to really like search the bins. It just really depends on like what films and what shows I'm into at a given time. 
And for several years, I have been collecting installments of the soundtrack for the TV show Unsolved Mysteries, not the Netflix reboot. I'm talking about the Robert Stack hosted uh, series from the 80s going into the 90s. I just absolutely love the show. Not to go off on a tangent, but I think Robert Stack missed out on the cameo era because when it came down to how he described and explained the narratives of, you know, the storylines that the series kind of delved into, he just said it with such conviction, so much that I would pay money to hear Robert Stack, you know, tell my life story and my potential unsolved mysteries. But I digress. Uh, so for past couple of years, I have collected um, the instrumental score that was part of the show. And of course, if you remember the show from back in the day, it's all, you know, the eerie synthesizer, spooky type stuff. And it's just it makes for good sort of, you know, ambient, you know, spooky listening suitable for Halloween, of course, which is sort of around the corner. I mean, it's late August as I'm recording this and they're rolling out pumpkin spice lattes at this point. Uh, But I saw this three LP collection at uh, Sisters of Christ and I already have volumes one and two. And I kind of feared that this was just going to be uh, a compilation of the two volumes with some extra stuff patented out. Needless to say, it was all different. Now, here is the kicker, and here's you know something to keep in mind. This 3LP collection was still sealed, and it was priced at $40. Now, 3LPs brand new at 40 bucks is a very generous price. So sure enough, I bought it. And I thought about it for a second because the label that put it out is called Terror Vision Records. They do a lot of cool sort of colored vinyl pressings. So I figured, okay, once we got back to our Airbnb, I was like, let me open this up. And sure enough, I open it up and it comes pressed. Each of the three LPs come pressed on this sort of tri-color striped vinyl with like black or white splatter. It is just absolutely gorgeous. If you haven't seen the documentary and us showcasing what we got at all the shops, you really got to see it for yourself because I do show it on camera. Hearing my voice talk about it will not do it justice. And obviously, I was curious. I did some research, went on Discogs. This pricing goes for around $150. So paying $150 versus paying $40, I don't know if this was just dead stock that was sitting at the shop for a while or someone potentially flubbed up. But needless to say, major win-win on my end. So now that I covered the highlights from New Orleans, now we are going to hightail to Nashville. And my buddies and I, we had just a little brief overnight stay in Nashville, um, which is a city that is very special to us because that was the city that we first all met up at when we did our first meetup back in 2021. And also Nashville, for me um, personally, just has a special place in my heart because I always say it's the one city that I've traveled to that felt the most homelike. There's just a magic in the air in Nashville that just really harks back to home, and it's a very special place that I love visiting anytime I happen to cross paths there. So when we got settled in Nashville... We had some time to kill, and we decided to go to Grimey's, uh, which is a notable record shop in Nashville. The new location now is located um, at the location of an old church, basically, and they kept like the entire interior similar to it. It looks very, very cool. And one record that I like, it was one of those moments where like you're digging through like the bins, and you see a record that you just haven't seen out in the out in the wild for a while, or you just don't really see often. It was one of those. <gasps> kind of moments that's exactly what i had and the record in question is chris bell i am the cosmos so chris bell was in the band big star he appears on their first album called number one record 
And then after that, he had left the band and went on to do a bunch of solo recordings uh, and released a single before his unfortunate passing at the age of 27. And then flash forward uh, to the early 90s, uh, the album I Am The Cosmos came out, which brought together all the material that he had worked on. And honestly, let me tell you, when you listen to I Am The Cosmos and you listen to number one record, you can see where his influence is all over that record. He just has a very distinctive, melodic, Beatles-esque kind of style. I mean, both him and Alex Chilton, they were almost like a Lennon-McCartney-type duo when it came to supplying material for... um for Big Star. And I mean, in the title track alone of I Am The Cosmos is one of the most sort of spiritually moving and also slightly melancholic. I mean, that's, you know, melancholy is a little bit of a theme that runs across Chris Bell's work. And that kind of just adds on to the, you know, the notion that, you know, he battled depression at the time when he was alive and his career didn't quite get off, you know, the ground um, as much as it should have because the man had immense talent and the songs are brilliantly crafted. I don't know how these songs didn't mesh in with the fact of the musical climate that was going on at the time because it would have blended perfectly. But, you know, as unfortunate as Chris's circumstances were in his life, it's great that, you know, future generations, along with, you know, people my age and, and, and older than me, are able to appreciate Chris's efforts. So just seeing that record out in the wild, because it was on back order from all the distros for the longest time, and I saw it there, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen this in ages. And then I come home and it's, you know, available to order from the distros. I'm just like, damn. But you know what? The fact that I bought it in Nashville is what makes it extra special. And it is one that has gotten a lot of heavy rotation. Hence why it's a perfect candidate for the current rotation series. Now, obviously, the big highlight during our pit stop in Nashville was visiting Third Man Records. Now, I have been on YouTube for five years, and I feel like I have sung Third Man's praises enough uh, for you guys listening as well as my viewers to know what Third Man and Jack White mean to me as a collector because that is that is ground zero for me when it comes to record collecting. It is because of the label Third Man and Jack White's you know innovative ways of expanding the boundaries of the vinyl format that got me into collecting. So... Visiting the shop for the very first time back in 2021 with my buds was, you know, a very special thing. And it just felt really cool to wrap up the trip with the very first shop that we ever went to together as a group. So it was cool to put a cap on things there. So obviously, um, I had a chance to jump in the record booth and do some recording magic in there. Um, because one of the cool pieces, uh, that's almost like a touristy thing to perhaps do and uh, if anyone kind of comes through Nashville, if it's working, I should say, is the uh, recording booth, which is a refurbished voiceograph uh, recording machine from the late 1940s. Uh, all the parts have been replaced, and for a mere, what, 25 bucks on average? I can't remember what exactly I paid. You go in and you make a little two and a half minute record of yourself I and mean, you could be doing spoken word you can sing they have acoustic guitars on hand there that you can use so obviously um i have been wanting to do this for 10 years so i decided to record an original song that i wrote coincidentally 10 years ago so 
Machine's been there for 10 years. I'm going to write my oldest song that I have in my little arsenal of original material back when I wrote music. I decided to do that, and I recorded a song of mine called Redhead Goddess, which I did upload the full performance on my YouTube channel if you want to check that out as like a little bonus extended scene from the documentary since I only included a small portion. But being able to do that was a longtime mission of mine, and I am so glad uh, that I was able to do that. And I have a nice little permanent souvenir from my uh, visit there. Last but not least, I'm going to shine a light on a record that I picked up uh, when I was in Chicago. So once the youngest members of the VC parted ways in Nashville with Jenna flying back home, myself, Emma, Marikin, and her husband, Jared, uh, we drove up to Kentucky to their neck of the woods. Went, went to their place, and then Emma and I decided to continue the festivities uh, further uh, with what we kind of dubbed the post-NOLA after-party in Chicago. And of course, the centerpiece of that little excursion was seeing Cheap Trick at the Metro, which was a phenomenal show. If you follow Emma's channel, 8 Vinylo, she is... A the biggest Cheap Trick fan that I know, like ultra diehard fan, you know, she is just that's her band right there. So being able to see them with her was truly a special thing, you know, to be there for. So thank you very much, Emma, for the invite. And we decided to kind of keep the party going the next day by hitting up a bunch of record stores in the sort of Chicago area that we found ourselves in. Now, we were both on a mission to find this particular record, and it all stems from our ride down to New Orleans. Now, since it was several hours getting down there from the Nashville area when we all kind of met up, um, we all picked a double live album or in Jenna's case, a triple live album to uh, listen to on the way down because, you know, double albums tend to take some time playing. And then before you know it, you're, you're, you're basically at your destination. So Jenna was in full on Grateful Dead mode because she had seen several shows of uh, Dead & Company's Farewell Tour. So her pick was Europe 72. Now, I have said what I've said about the Grateful Dead. You know, I can appreciate, you know, the sort of open bootleg um, world that they embrace and the fan base, the artwork, like it's all cool, but I have just always steered clear from jam bands. You know, I am not a fan of noodling whatsoever. Like I like improv, but there's got to be a cap to it. And so approaching the Grateful Dead has always just been a daunting thing. And I just kind of steered clear from it. Um, I do have these skeletons from the closet compilation just as like a sort of small primer to have like the quote unquote hits on one LP. But I never delved into a like an actual album. And given how the Grateful Dead have always had their stance on being an exquisite live band, just down to the nature of the kind of band that they are, um, Europe 72, you know, according to many people, is a solid primer. So sure enough, Emma and I were at one of the Reckless Records locations, and this store had two copies of Europe 72. I tried to find one in New Orleans to no prevail. So once we saw it, we were like, yeah, we need to get this because it's a little something that, you know, makes us, you know, makes us, you know, think of Jenna. And also because it really actually is a decent road trip kind of album. Like once we were hitting the road and just it was all highways and just open skies and greenery it's like wow this music does actually quite fit it so i go from having just a single lp compilation to a three lp live album and now i'm curious as to what studio albums i might perhaps uh, track down next to kind of further my explorations into the world of the dead we shall see 
So there you guys go. That is my latest installments of my current rotation series, highlighting some notable finds from New Orleans, Nashville, and Chicago. See you guys in the next episode, and most importantly, keep the records spinning.